Welcome to The Faithful Forebears, a podcast about faithful Christian men and women throughout history. Episode 2.3, Estefanos. Welcome back. So I hope you've been enjoying our tour through Ethiopia's history. Part of the reason I do this podcast is to show just how universal the Christian church is. From the very beginning, Christianity has been a multi-ethnic and multinational church, not just in theory, but in actuality. Sadly, there have been times in the church's past when people have tried to corrupt that truth, even to make it the opposite. And we've even seen instances of that in this podcast. But the true message of Jesus is one for all peoples and all nations. And so I think this season is a good reminder for us Western Christians how big that church is. And that compared to many parts of the world, including places in Africa, we are the newcomers to the Christian faith. So last week, we left off with the end of King Zara Yaqub's reign in Ethiopia. And as we saw, his legacy is mixed. He did some things that strengthened his country and the Ethiopian church, but he also had a side that could be despotic and cruel, especially near the end of his life. And as a king, he mixed secular and ecclesiastical authority in some harmful ways with some dangerous precedents. So today we will not move past Zara Yaqab just yet, and in this episode he will again be a major character. And we'll see that darker side much more clearly. So if you haven't listened to the episode on Zara Yaqab yet, I highly recommend you listen to it first. So if you'll remember, the Ethiopian church in the 1300s and into the 1400s had a great split between two groups. One group believed Christians should remember two Sabbaths, Saturday and Sunday. And one group said it should only be one, Sunday. And there was a great council of the Ethiopian church that met to settle this question, the Council of Debra Mitmach in 1450. A few years earlier, another issue was also brought forward to a great council. A priest and his group of followers were accused of harboring some radical ideas. Among these ideas was the rejection of prayers to the saints and to Mary, and that God's word was the ultimate authority in belief and practice. This group was called the Stephenites. They were called this because their leader was a fearless priest named Estefanos, a.k.a. Stephen. And he would certainly live up to the name's heritage, the Bible's first martyr. As we will see, Estefanos, even in the face of a king, would not back down from his beliefs, even to death. But we are getting ahead of ourselves. We should learn a little bit about the history of Estefanos' life. Estefanos was born in northern Ethiopia, sometime around 1380 AD. That makes him about eight years younger than Jan Hus, and about a hundred years older than Martin Luther. I say that because I will be making some comparisons between Estefanos and those other two reformers. And if you don't know much about Jan Hus, go ahead and listen to episode 15 and brush up on him. Estefanos' father was a great soldier named Berhanemeskel, but Estefanos never knew him. He was killed before Estefanos was born. So the young boy was raised by his uncle, who was a chief of a town called Gifmala. At his birth, Estefanos was given the name Hagda Ibaza, 
which means likeness of a lion, which is a pretty sweet name if you ask me. It was expected that he would follow in his father's footsteps and become a warrior as well. While he would never end up being a soldier, Estefanos certainly inherited and demonstrated his father's courage and tenacity. As a child, Estefanos was obedient and kind, and as an adolescent he became a herdsman. But it was about then that he began to be deeply moved by the stories of the Bible. He heard the story of Moses and wished that God would come speak to him like he'd spoken to Moses in the burning bush. Soon he was regularly attending a church school nearby and began memorizing some of the Psalms. It became clear to him and his family that he desired to follow a spiritual path. As I said before, this is not what his family expected from him. Similar to so many others we've looked at, they wanted Estefanos to go into the family business, which, in this case, was soldiering. But Estefanos could not be lured away from his dream to study and meditate and teach scripture. Unlike many of the other students at his school, Estefanos was not content with studying things on the surface level and memorization. He always was asking questions and always wanted to know more. After a little while, he was made candidate to become a deacon in the church. The church authorities there knew his mind needed deeper waters to swim in than they could provide. So they sent him to the city of Aksum. Remember, Aksum was the ancient capital of Ethiopia, and at this point was still the seat of culture and education. So Estefanos studied under the school of the bishop of Ethiopia, the Abuna. The Abuna at this time was named Bartolomeos, and under him Estefanos officially was ordained a deacon. According to the oldest account of his life, he made a vow to God, saying, Count me in the number of your inheritance, so I may carry your good yoke and bear your light burden. Let my life be for the service of your will. Behold, from today on, I have dedicated myself to you. Estefanos then left the capital and joined the Coyisa Monastery under a man named Abba Samuel. But before he started his time there, he wanted to see his family one more time. His uncle and his brothers tried again to convince him to leave his clerical life, but Estefanos was set. The hardest appeal of all was from his mother. She had remarried by then, but was still greatly sorrowed that her young Estefanos would be leaving their village for the broader world. But Estefanos did not mince words with her, and he told her they would probably not see her again after becoming a priest. He said, As for you, calm your heart. From now on you will not see my face in the flesh. However, devote yourself to God so that he may prosper your return. And after some bitter tears, she gave him his blessing. May God, who called you, be your shepherd. And Estefanos left. When he arrived at the monastery, he began working as a scribe and a calligrapher under the abbot there, a man named Abba Samuel. This was the perfect opportunity for Estefanos to learn even more deeply from a wide variety of sources. He copied many manuscripts from church fathers, but especially the scripture. Soon he was forming his own thoughts about the church and its belief and practices. Estefanos was also given the opportunity to teach in his monastery. Because of his sharp mind and the wealth of material he was familiar with, he quickly became popular. Soon students were gathering to hear his words every night. Each evening, large groups of mostly young monks would gather around his hut, 
and hear his lectures. But Estefanos was not just a teacher. He also practiced very diligently what he preached, and was extremely strict with himself. Similar to Francis, he took the idea of a life of poverty very seriously. His hagiography states that when he would leave to go to worship, he would take nothing with him, and yet he would also leave nothing behind. And like many of the other monks, he would work in the field regularly to help provide for his community. And it is said that anyone was happy to work with Estefanos, not because he was particularly strong, but because of his hard work and his obedience. That did not mean Estefanos was popular with everyone. Some of the older monks were worried about this young deacon. He was a little too intense for their liking, and seemed to be asking too many questions, and raising too many concerns with the practices in the church. But for the most part, Estefanos was left alone, and he continued to learn and teach. After twelve years at this monastery, under Abba Samuel, Estefanos again went to the capital of Axum for his ordination. He was examined by the bishop of Ethiopia, still Abba Bartolomeos, who was pleased with what he saw in the young man. Estefanos was then ordained a priest at the traditional age of 30. When he returned to his monastery, things started to get out of hand. The older monks, who had always been skeptical of his teachings, were upset that this ruffian deacon had now become a priest. It got worse when his teaching and preaching began to publicly question and sometimes even rebuke them. Estefanos was well versed in scripture, and he was always questioning any belief or custom that he believed to be contrary to what the Bible and the apostolic canons actually taught. The arguments were primarily around two issues. Recently introduced traditions in the Ethiopian church, and salvation by grace through faith. Now exactly where Estefanos got these ideas is unclear. He may have discovered them himself, but some traditions think it was from another monk named Abagebri Nazrawi. According to that tradition, he is the one who emphasized salvation by grace through faith and not by works to Estefanos. But Estefanos did take this to heart. Salvation, he said, was not something that had to be worked out through life with rituals, but something that Jesus had accomplished already. Estefanos saw many practices in the Ethiopian church that were working against this biblical truth and leading people away from the word of scripture. Recently, a book called The Miracles of Mary had been brought to Ethiopia and translated into their language. Many traditions had recently begun around this book, including prayers to Mary and prostrating oneself before her image, along with images of angels and archangels. Estefanos opposed all these things as unbiblical. Soon there was a major conflict in the monastery. The older monks and teachers opposed Estefanos and the younger ones who were supporting him. Things got bad enough that his opponents stopped giving Estefanos or any of his followers communion and demanded that the abbot, Abba Samuel, expel all of them. While Abba Samuel had tried to stay out of the growing controversy as long as he could, finally he had to intervene. And unfortunately, he sided against Estefanos. So Estefanos and his followers were forced to leave the monastery. So Estefanos moved west, to the Ethiopian region of Shire. Though according to the pictures I've seen from this region, well, it does have a lot of beautiful parts, 
it's a little bit different from the Shire with hobbits in it. Regardless, this is where Estefanos and his followers decided they would start their own religious community. But it was not easy at the start. They began with almost nothing to support themselves, including any sort of farming equipment. So the members of the community began by working for other people in return for food. They would also forage in the wilderness for fruits, berries, roots, and other foods that were, quote, suitable for hermits. That could probably be a new fad diet. These years were difficult for the community, but they were incredibly formative. They were able to sustain themselves and grow without any support of benefactors or sponsors. Estefanos himself proved to be a good administrator and organizer. So, while there was not plenty, there was enough. Their organization became lean, efficient, and tough. The communities were organized into groups of 12, with one member of the group of 12 being called the Madir, with one of the heads being chosen to be the chief of the community, the Liquimadir. When the communities got too big, new ones were created from equally drawing from the units of 12. Soon there were three different communities. Estefanos would travel each day between them to teach and encourage. It was around this time that these groups became known as the Stephanites. Estefanos taught his disciples that salvation was not gained through following the law, but only through Jesus Christ. However, because of this salvation by grace, he stressed that one should live so that the fruits of the Spirit were clearly seen. And Estefanos would become even more extreme in his idea of holy living as a response to Jesus' salvation. His followers were to own nothing, as worldly attachments would get in the way of the freedom won by Jesus. They were also not to take part in any sort of pagan herbology or other rituals, including omens and divinations. Remember, this is one thing that King Zara Yaqob would fight against himself. For Estefanos, everything had to be in agreement with Scripture, and everything had to be tested by it. Because of this implicit idea of sola scriptura, Estefanos is sometimes called the first African Protestant, or the first African Evangelical. And it is pretty fascinating that while Luther was not yet even born, Estefanos essentially believed the three pillars of the Reformation, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, although neither he nor anyone else would describe it that way for a very long time. So while the Stephanites grew, opposition from local monasteries also grew. Word spread of this monk who had rebelled against the well-respected Abba Samuel. They accused Estefanos, saying, The man is discourteous to our scholars. He declares that our teachings are false and outside the law of the Christian church. He mocks our holy men, to whom many things are revealed by God, and accuses them of magic tricks. Our young disciples have become victims to his teaching, and on their return from secret visits to him, they create disturbances among us with his arguments. It got so bad that there were even violent attacks against the Stephanites, so the local governor had to intervene. He set up a hearing between Estefanos and his followers. While Estefanos was more than capable of publicly debating, the hearing quickly got sidetracked. As Estefanos was trying to defend himself, one of his opponents interrupted him, making an objection in the name of the king. Estefanos would not accept this objection, 
saying the temporal king's authority did not mean anything in doctrinal discussions. Remember from last episode, however, the special status Ethiopian kings were supposed to have in the Ethiopian church, and this was largely because they were supposedly connected with the Solomonic dynasty. That part of the debate went like this. The accuser said to Estefanos, You do not recognize even the king. Estefanos said, I do recognize the king of the Christians. He is a Christian in truth. May God preserve his kingdom. The seeker of the pretext asked, I call him Israel. And Estefanos said, I call him Christian. Then Estefanos asked the man, saying, Now tell me, seeing that you say Israelite when I say Christian, is the name of Israel or the name of Christianity greater? That misguided one said, The name of Israel is greater. The saint answered him, saying, No, the name of Christianity is greater. Israelites are called Israel being born of the flesh. As for the name of Christianity, they are called Christians by being born of the heavenly birth of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the name of the Holy Catholic Apostolic Church is greater. Well, after the discussion took this turn, the local governor decided he was not willing to make a ruling himself. It was getting a little too close to issues of royalty and the special claim to the Solomonic dynasty. So he stated that this debate must go all the way to the royal court itself. Estefanos would end up appearing before the royal court four times. It's likely that this first time he went to court was just before Zara Yaqob started his reign. It was probably during one of the short reigns of Zara Yaqob's elder brother. At this first royal appearance, everything went pretty well for Estefanos. He was granted freedom and even a measure of protection. He returned seven months later to his home with a royal decree that stated, Anyone who wishes to follow his teachings in this province or in any other may freely do so. But that only deepened the battle lines in the region of Shire. The opponents of Estefanos, while they did not get the ruling they liked, they decided there were still plenty of ways to make life difficult for the Stephanites. So many of the nearby monasteries refused to have any dealings with the Stephanites at all, either socially, spiritually, or economically. But the Stephanites still prospered and continued their work and study undeterred. But sadly, things were about to get worse. Not too much later, Tsar Yaqob did become the king of Ethiopia, around the year 1434, and the opponents of the Stephanites sent a letter to the new king, asking him to reopen the case. Tsar Yaqob, who was very diligently trying to unite the church again, wanted to get rid of this problem as well, so he called Estefanos and his opponents to give their accounts. Estefanos arrived at the royal court, but before Tsar Yaqob would hear the case, he asked Estefanos to join the royal court in hearing legal cases. These cases were of a mostly secular nature, but were taking place in front of secular as well as religious authorities. It's likely that Tsar Yaqob wanted to get a feel for what kind of a man Estefanos was before he heard the case of Estefanos. Estefanos showed up for three weeks of these hearings, but he would never participate in them. He would quietly listen, but he refused to give any opinions on the cases. Tsar Yaqob finally asked him why he would not participate. Estefanos replied, It is forbidden for us to participate in the judgments of the world. I did not come here for this, but because you summoned me for a matter of religion and of the spirit. 
It is for the rulers of this world to judge, according to the Pentateuch and the Book of the Kings. Zarya Cobb was taken aback that a lowly priest would challenge his orders. The bold response certainly did not earn Estefanos any favor with the king. As we'll see, Estefanos will show he is nothing if not bold. But Zaryakov did decide to finally set a time for the hearing of Estefanos' case three weeks later. When the hearing finally did come, Estefanos' opponents focused on three charges, two that were fairly subjective and one which was simply not true. They accused him of disrespecting the accepted traditions of the country, leading the young monks in the area away, and only observing the Sabbath on Saturdays and not on Sundays. Remember from the last episode, there were a lot of issues in Ethiopia during this time that centered around the Sabbath. Estefanos flatly denied the charge of the Sabbath, since he, like many Ethiopians then, observed both Saturday and Sunday as Sabbaths. His opponents charged him with making trips on Sundays, to which Estefanos replied, yes, but so did Jesus. But the other charges against Estefanos were simply the result of Estefanos challenging the traditions on the basis of God's word. Estefanos defended himself, saying, They abandoned their pledge to God and returned into the world. I would not cooperate with them in this. Zaryakub asked where Estefanos got his ideas. And he replied, All those who stand by the teachings of the prophets and the apostles are my teachers. I do not make a distinction between great and small among them. To make matters worse, the whole time there, Estefanos also refused to prostrate himself before the king. If you're unfamiliar with the term prostration, it means to stretch oneself out on the ground face downward in an act of submission. Basically, it's bowing, but to the extreme. This refusal earned him the ire of the king and his whole royal entourage. After the arguments were done, the council of priests hearing the case wanted to condemn him to death because, quote, he is a violator of the Sabbath and does not bow before the king, nor does he prostrate himself in his honor. But Zaryakov was not ready to go that far. And so he instead, I'm sure mercifully in his opinion, simply had him flogged. Zaryakov did ask if Estefanos thought he was being martyred. Estefanos said, yes, this is martyrdom. But behold, I am ready in the name of God to accept whatever you offer. The king replied, You will not obtain martyrdom for me. Estefanos replied, Many say we are Christians, even though they are bringing about martyrdom by killing the saints. Tsaryakob held him for two more months. Finally, Estefanos sent a message to the king saying, Basically, let me return to my monastery, let me go into exile, or kill me. But whatever you do, do it soon. The king relented and let Estefanos return to his community of Stephanites. Estefanos now knew that persecution was only going to get stronger against his little community, so he exhorted them all to get ready. He told them, For there will also be hereafter exile, imprisonment, and even final martyrdom. As the Lord has said, If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. But it also says, Have faith in this and be strong that I have overcome the world. In spite of the growing opposition, the communities of the Stephanites still continued to grow. Their little dwellings and their gardens prospered. They continued to work and pray and study. They went from three communities to nine, with 15 smaller sub-communities. They were able to produce enough to provide for the poor in their areas as well. 
Even some people of influence in Ethiopia took a look at Estefanos' teaching. Another priest named Gaba Crestos became a good friend and assistant of Estefanos. And a famous and influential abbot named Abba Bartolomewos came to see the Stephanites and was impressed by Estefanos' teachings. Even the governor of the region of Tigre was sympathetic and tried to help the Stephanite cause as he could. But even while they were beginning to have some support, a strong faction still opposed anything Estefanos did or taught. Several years later, Estefanos and leaders from many other monasteries and communities were summoned to another council. Estefanos at first refused to go, but he was compelled to by force. King Zari Yaqab, as he was through his whole reign, was seeking to unify and standardize belief and practice in the Ethiopian church. One of the issues at this council was the recent introduction of the cult of St. Mary. Now, when I say cult of St. Mary, I don't mean that in a derogative, but it's simply referring to the special reverence of Mary found in Catholic and Orthodox churches, things like prayers to Mary. As mentioned before, these ideas had not reached Ethiopia until a few decades before this council, when a book called The Miracles of Mary was translated into Ethiopian. Zaryakob was now pushing that prayers and icons and prostration to Mary be standard practice in all Ethiopian churches. But at that meeting, Estefanos would not give Mary that kind of reverence that the other priests would. While he respected and honored St. Mary, he would not pray or prostrate to her image. Estefanos stated, I worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and I prostrate before this. I shall not add anything more to this, for the love of the rulers of this world. He continued to also refuse to prostrate before Zaryakub himself saying, There is no commandment in the law that we should prostrate ourselves as you say, but it does command us to prostrate ourselves before God. At any rate, he said, do not seek prostration from us. Prayer and blessing should be enough for you. When Estefanos was told to address the king with the royal plural, Estefanos also refused. He said, Why should I address you like that? Are you not a single person? For it is written so in the Old and New Testaments that they address a single person as single, not as plural. Not man, only God, we invoke that way. Well, with words like that, Zari Yaqob had had enough. He was enraged that someone would be so defiant to him. In his mind, there were much bigger things for him to deal with than a disrespectful priest. And he was also concerned with Estefanos' challenge to his Solomonic lineage, and the special authority that he claimed to have over the church. Remember, in the last episode, Zaryakob was also in the middle of trying to unite Ethiopia from the schism by Iwustatewos. So, instead of reconciliation with the Stephanites, Zaryakob chose a path of extermination. After this verbal sparring, he had Estefanos beaten, and the beating was so intense that he was a bloody mess afterwards. When the soldiers were done, Estefano's friends rushed to him, not sure if he'd even survived. But he lifted his head and told them, Are you indeed saddened by this? Not only this beating, but even if they scattered all my bones for the sake of Christ, I would indeed rejoice. But be steadfast in God. If they separate me from you, exhort one another and your brethren, and give preference to the teaching of your hope. Estefanos and his followers were charged with the following crimes. Refusal to prostrate before the king, 
Refusal to prostrate before the image of Mary. Refusal to prostrate before the cross. Refusal to prostrate before icons or saints or angels. Refusal to acknowledge the Solomonic descent of the kings. Refusal to pray to saints and angels. And his ideas of grace and faith at the centrality of Scripture were not listed as his offenses, but they were certainly still a part of his theological position. Estefanos and all his followers were arrested and held in prison. Many others were severely beaten, such as his friend and assistant, Gabra Crestos. Estefanos himself became very sick while in prison, and it was unsure if he'd survive. But after several harrowing months, he did recover. After his recovery, the king sent a messenger to Estefanos, telling him that he was forgiven for the quarrel between them, and that Estefanos could return home. But what Estefanos and the Stephanites understood was that Tsar Yacob's offer of forgiveness, and saying that Estefanos was forgiven, was really just a way of saying, I'm giving you one more chance, I'm serious, and now do what I tell you. But as we've seen before, Estefanos was nothing, if not bold. After this, the Stephanites continued to be persecuted, and not too much later, for a fourth time, Estefanos was called before the king for continued persistence in his ways, and this would be the last. Before he left, he told his followers that the Shire was no longer safe for them. They needed to move to the region of his old home, Agame. There he had more friends and influential positions that could possibly give them a little more protection. Estefanos was arrested by the local governor, and before being sent to the king, the local governor had him tortured, along with his companions. But whenever they threatened him, Estefanos would answer calmly with scripture. And whenever they tortured him in public, he was winning people over with his words. So the governor put a stop to this, and sent him off to the royal court. Now Zaryakub was a little amazed when Estefanos came before him, because he was still as bold and defiant as ever even after all these beatings and all these imprisonments. The king even had Estefanos's clothes searched for magical talismans that could possibly be giving him superhuman strength. Obviously, they did not find any such talismans. Now, it's important to remember that Tsar Yacob considered himself a bit of a theologian. He had lived in the monastery for a while himself and was well acquainted with scriptures. He would also later write several theological treatises. So he wanted to question Estefanos again, and this time prove him wrong theologically in front of his whole court. So he began questioning Estefanos about his refusal to prostrate before him. He said, All of your peers do it. Do you think you're better than them? He also brought up scripture. Have not the ancients done it, he said? Abraham prostrated himself before the children of Amor, Genesis 23.7, if you're interested, and Jacob before Esau, Genesis 33.3. And many others have done it also. Why are you too proud to do it? But Estefanos replied, The argument that says many have done it is weak. For greater than the deeds of many is the witness of God's word, which says, Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will not pass away. For previously he commanded us in the Torah by his words that we should not prostrate ourselves before any other, but before him only likely quoting Exodus 20, 4, and 5. And in the New Testament, he showed us openly by his deeds and ordered us similarly to follow his footsteps. And now, if you can submit to his law, 
let it be for us and for you too, as he has decreed. But if you do not want to do that, the Lord himself has said, A servant cannot serve two masters. We have put ourselves in the service of the Holy Trinity. We cannot put ourselves in the service of anyone else. At this again Zariacob lost his temper, and had Estefanos beaten for a third time. But this time he also had him branded with the word slave, since he would not submit. He then had Estefanos cut with razors. He was sent into exile, but this time it was alone. No friends were allowed with him. He was taken to a distant province of Ethiopia that was populated mostly by Muslims, who would therefore have no part in such a religious controversy. For six months, Estefanos lingered alone in prison, until finally he died, likely from the wounds he'd been inflicted with. According to his legend, when he died, he called out to Christ three times, and when he gave up his spirit, there was an earthquake. And his Muslim guards would not touch him afterwards, and sent for a Christian to bury him. Zaryakov then sent out messengers to the Stephanite communities. They had two options. They could either renounce Estefanos or go into exile. For most, the choice was easy, and they were prepared for it. They chose exile, either in the wilderness or in the region of Agame, where they had more support from the local population. One of the largest and long-lasting groups was led by a man named Yashak. They would hold out for many decades in a very inaccessible monastery called Gundagundi, where the followers of Ewostewos had gone for refuge a century earlier. Zor Yacob publicly announced that the Stephanites should be considered enemies of Mary and led a cruel propaganda campaign against them. Any other teaching of this group was rejected out of hand as well, and they were branded renegade heretics. Zor Yacob would never entertain discussions with their leaders again. The Stephanites did continue, but dwindled in numbers. Leaders like Estefanos' friend, Gabra Crestos, tried to keep his legacy alive. One of the only remaining documents about Estefanos is Gabra Crestos' description, from which I got most of the information for this podcast. But the next generation of Stephanites did have some success. A Stephanite leader named Ezra left Ethiopia for Egypt and was ordained a priest there. He learned technical skills abroad, including building a water-powered mill. When he returned to Ethiopia, he built such a mill for his community. When the new king of Ethiopia, Na'ad, heard about this, he was impressed. He invited Ezra to court, who helped argue some of Estefanos' case. While the breach was not fully healed, at least the persecution stopped. However, there was a cost. Ezra did bend on much of Estefanos' own stubbornness. For instance, he did prostrate himself before the king and icons of Mary. Estefanos' legacy continued, but only barely after this, for many centuries. He was mostly forgotten, and his followers mostly absorbed back into the Ethiopian church. But his legacy was recovered much later. We'll look at this more in a later episode, but in the 1800s, Protestant missionaries came to Ethiopia. Then many Ethiopians turned to the belief of the Reformation solas, grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone. And then the life of Estefanos was rediscovered, and it gave great pride to these new African evangelicals and Lutherans. They too had a heritage of Reformation ideas that was in fact older than those of their European brothers and sisters. 
So while not directly related, I'm sure Estefanos would rejoice now that many in his home country have evangelical ideas similar to those he taught. Their spiritual authority like his is first and foremost scripture, and they clearly teach salvation by grace through faith. And in fact, as I've mentioned before, Reformation churches in Ethiopia are today exploding. For instance, there are now more Ethiopian Lutherans than American ones. So while the seeds may have been dormant for a long time, I believe Estefanos helped plant them. And here again, I think we can draw a parallel between Estefanos and Jan Hus. Jan Hus was martyred only about 40 years before Estefanos. And his ideas also lay basically isolated in Bohemia, in dormant, for about a hundred years, until later, with the help of Martin Luther, they would explode across Europe. In the same way, after Estefanos was killed, his ideas would be isolated to the most remote parts of the nation for many centuries. But those ideas would return. I think Estefanos would also be glad to see how the idea of the separation of church and state has caught on. Remember, he did not think clerics should have anything to do with secular rulings, and at the same time did not think the king should have anything to do with spiritual discussions. Just another one of those ideas that would prove so valuable centuries later. Well, that's all I have today for Estefanos. And thank you again for listening. I hope you're enjoying this venture into Ethiopia as much as I am. As I said at the beginning, it's inspiring to see how truly universal Christianity is. And a special thanks also to my friend Troy Frazier with the Revived Thoughts podcast. He's the one who introduced me to Estefanos. Without Troy, I don't think I ever would have found him. Troy is now involved with a group of podcasts by Revived Studios. All of their podcasts are about learning from faithful Christians of the past. So obviously, I'm a fan. So check them out online or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Revived Thoughts in Revived Studios. So next episode, we will see Ethiopia as it starts interacting more with European Christianity. And as a warning, it won't be a smooth relationship. While some bridges will be built, there will also be political and cultural clashes and many questions about identity. But you'll have to wait and see. As always, please like and subscribe. And thanks to all of you who wrote reviews. If you like the podcast and you haven't written a review yet, please do it. Just do it. Come on. Reviews help the podcast to be seen. And I truly do think it is important today more than ever that Christians do understand where they come from. These days, there's a lot of what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, in which we think those in the past are inferior to us. But as Christians, we need to understand that they are our brothers and sisters, and from them we can learn a great deal. And that is the goal of this podcast, that we can learn from them. So please, help me get that message out. Well, that's all for today. I'm Eric Clausen, and as always, thanks for listening.